Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Tyson here with Life Coach Cindy Chavez on this Wednesday, October the 24th, 2018, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Your second daily dose of happy for the day. And uh, we're going to try to get uh, connected in to do another live stream here on the uh, Facebook group, The Law of Attraction Changed My Life. And so we're going to connect into that right now and uh, see if we can get that going. Cindy, how's it going with you? Are you having a good day? Is this a productive, happy day for you? Yeah, it's been a really good day. I mean, it started out great with a great podcast. Absolutely. And yeah, and everything that's been happening around here today, it's been a peaceful day. Oh, nice. And a productive day. Those are all things that I like to have happen. I even took time to do a 20-minute or so meditation where I spent the entire time assuming the feeling of wish fulfilled. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, and yeah. like more than once, I realized that I had this giant grin on my face. Like <laughs> Not like a soft, peaceful smile when meditating, but just a huge smile with teeth showing kind of grin. I was like, wow. (laughs) Very good. Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting you should say that because um, uh, my wife was not feeling really great today. So she said, could you go down to the mailbox and uh, get the mail, which is actually a little bit of a walk from here. So I did. And as I'm walking down there, I'm doing the same thing. I'm doing uh, feeling, assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled kind of meditation, a walking meditation. And getting into it in a big way. And it was kind of fun. I was glad nobody was around because I'd see this silly grin on my face. I didn't really want to show them that. (laughs) But I could show it myself and I could, uh, you know, do it as I was going along. And and it was fun because I I had, I was doing what we were talking about in the previous uh, episodes that we've done about Neville Goddard's book. And the, the main idea is that you don't want to create this big vignette. You want to keep a small vignette, right? So I was creating this little, little small vignette. It actually had like two or three pieces to it, but they were all pretty quick. And I was just trying to play that over and over again in my mind. And, and uh, as usual, the actual visual of it wasn't real strong, but I was building the emotion pretty well. I could actually feel the emotion throughout. So I said, you know, this is a pretty good session I'm doing here. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. You know, today um, I know we both get the email from – uh, Abraham Hicks, right? right. Mm-hmm. And today I'm kind of pulling it up here as I'm talking because um, they talked about this very thing. And it was actually, a, um, let's see. It says, <clears throat> all the resources you will ever want or need are at your fingertips. All you have to do is identify what you want to do with it and then practice the feeling place of what it will feel like when that happens. And so, you know, it's the same thing, just tapping into the feeling. And I noticed something, too. It's it's interesting. I generally don't have trouble visualizing. But as I was meditating and going through my little, you know, vignette that I've constructed, what what I noticed is that my other senses are much more, like, relevant. Like, I'm recognizing that I'm using every sense in a big way and vision's probably the last one. Like it's Mm -hmm. not really what I'm seeing. It's what I'm feeling. And I've tried to bring tastes and smells into it. And like my feet on the floor, that's one thing I noticed. And what was funny is that all of a sudden I realized in my meditation, in this little vignette, I realized what shoes I had on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And I mean, they're not the shoes I'm wearing right now. Right. It's like it's a really beautiful pair of shoes that I have that are really dressy and I don't wear them too often. 
and I realized that as I was sitting there at the table having a discussion in this little drama that I've created, this little vignette, that my feet were on the floor and they were in those shoes. And I thought, oh, see, that's a really good thing. When you start noticing little details that sort of come to you. Yeah, oh, yeah. Instead of you chasing them, right? Right. Or constructing them. Yeah. So I was like, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So (laughs) it's really a lot of fun. Once again, I feel like, okay, I got a little ways to go. I haven't had that experience yet of the details just come to me. I, I'm the one who's creating the details, but um, I can tell you that it it does feel like I'm getting closer to that. I don't know how to explain yeah. why I'd say, I mean, I say that, and even as I say that, it sounds like, well, you know, what would, what would that feel like? I don't know what it feels like. It just feels like it. It feels like I'm getting closer to it. And, and it's a good thing, I hope. I mean, I, I think it's true. I hope it's true. Because it's certainly a lot easier when the details come to you because then you get excited a lot easier, you know? Right. So I think we start with like a very small, concise little screenplay. You know, that's how I always think of it as a screenplay. It's like one one minute or less. It's just a little scene that we construct. We construct that. And then as we get more comfortable in going over it and going over it and tapping into the feeling of it, then sometimes we'll have a detail pop in that we didn't put there. Or at least we didn't consciously construct it. It's like, ooh, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. So that's what's been going on over here. Good vibes. That's very good. <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, when I was thinking about the vignette I put together, I didn't even invent it. I used Neville's. Remember the story of the man, or it was a woman or man, I can't remember which, um, who envisioned himself or herself shaking hands over yes. what it, I, that's right. what I was doing. I was doing the same thing, except I was doing it with like three or four different people. But it was the same feeling. I was putting myself in that. I figured it worked for them. Why wouldn't it work for me? I might as well go with it. It's a good, good little scene, right? So yeah, I did the same and, thing. And Neville actually talked about it in the um, in the chapter where where he talks about it. He's saying, "Here's an idea for you, pretty much, right? Let's say mm-hmm. that what you wanted was, and he said, I think a promotion." Mm-hmm. I can think of a bazillion things that if we wanted them and then when they happened, people would hear about it and say, congratulations. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, a lot of the things that we want in life, um, people will say congratulations when we say, Hey, this is what I've, you know, just going on in my life. And so he had a friend standing in front of you, reaching out and you take their hand, shake the hand. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's a great vignette because it's got tactile stuff going on. You're feeling the handshake. Maybe you hear them say congratulations and you have a little dialogue. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Well, that, that's what was happening in my case because I, I had actually tied, you know, 21st century technology into it. So the interactions where I was getting <laughs> congratulated were over a video screen, kind of like this one that we're doing here. <laughs> so people were congratulating me. So I, did, I couldn't actually reach out and feel the hand, but I could hear and I mentioned before, hearing is my, my best one anyway. Um, I could hear the congratulations. I could hear it in, in their voices um, as they were saying it. And, and that was fun. That That's where it started to build up inside me. Like, okay, I can feel this. This is good. I can really yeah. feel this. And see, here's the thing. And I, I always feel like I'm not explaining this well, especially when I'm, you know, working with a client about it, it is that that's it right there. Like, mm. in other words, today, I looked at my calendar. I had one little thing that ended up getting uh rescheduled and so i said oh this is the perfect time i'm going to go take 20 minutes and i'm going to meditate and i was excited to do it not because i think that it's going to create some manifestation 
in my perceived future. Although it probably will. That's how mm -hmm. it works. But mm -hmm. I was excited about it because I knew it was going to be a vibe lifter. It was going to feel good. It was going to be like exciting. And yes, I was doing this. That's why like I said I broke out into a big grin. And I was like, <laughs> but that's great. You know, if you pass someone on the street and they have a huge grin on their face. Well, I, I, I'm sure I'll get used to that idea at some point you know, <laughs> of, of some, somebody looking at me like, what has he got that silly grit on his face for? <laughs> well, I have had someone say to me before in passing, like, wow, you look happy about something, you know. It's like <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, um, it was it, it, it's something I have experienced a few times, actually. And it happened on my walks when I go take my walks because there was a time where I was applying the ideas of Sean Aker. And among those ideas are... If you want to kind of build up your positive feelings about yourself and about what you're doing and where you're getting to and, and how you're interacting with society, you do things like make it a point to greet every person that you see. Mm. And, and that, that was a hard one for me because as hard as it is to believe, because I'm doing a podcast, I'm really an introverted person. And so I, that, that was just challenging for me. So I, I would get out and I, I'd start my walk. I'd say, okay. I, I always see a lot of people out there because it's, it's a rails to trails path. So there's lots of people out walking or running or biking or whatever else. Um, and so I would make it a point of one of those people, I'm going to do what, what uh, Sean Aker says. I'm going to at least smile to them and maybe even say hello to them. Right. Yeah. And so I, I'm doing that and doing it. And I finally, my first day that I actually pulled it off, I said, Oh God, I did it. I actually said it. And I actually got a nice reaction too. And, and, the nice reaction didn't convince me that it was okay to keep doing it, but I felt a little bit better. <laughs> and then I tried it again the next time and the next time. And over time, I got better and better at it until one day I was out um, taking the walk. And, of course, I sometimes also bring my headphones and, and you know my iPhone and, and uh, listen to some positive music that I really like. And that gets me going because I'm doing two things that I really enjoy. I'm walking along. And this couple comes the other direction, passing me, and they're looking at me with this big smile. Hi, how you doing? And I'm looking over at them like, what? What did I do? <laughs> <laughs> and I realized, and I waved to them and said hello, and I realized after they passed, they were reacting to my face. I didn't realize it, but I was smiling. I had this big smile on my face. I had just yeah. kind of built up to it over time just by trying to push myself a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, until I finally reached the point where I was smiling but I didn't know it. <laughs> See, and, and, and they smiled in return That's because right. energy entrains to itself. Mm -hmm. So it's like we're raising the vibration of the world one smile at a time, one person at a time, as we greet them or smile at them or just as we're smiling to ourselves, right? Like that's you right. were in your own yeah. little world, right? Yeah. So that's it, exciting. It, it has happened more often since then, and it's a little bit of a shock each time. Because I, ha I actually have to make the mental connection. Why are they giving me this big reaction? Oh, I must have a smile on my face. That's right. I remember now. <laughs> well, I, the smile I had on my face today during meditation time, I, I feel like you could probably see it from way over there. You know, it's like, and that, that's a, that's what we're going for is yeah. assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled. The more, the more I do this, the more I work with these kind of methods, the easier it gets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, and when it's not easy, like occasionally I will go to take those two minutes and kind of go through that little vignette with the, with the idea that I'm going to tap into that feeling and it doesn't really come right away. And it's like, what's happening? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, I've got to stay with it for a little bit here. Mm -hmm. Eventually it does come. And I say eventually 
you know, usually it's a couple of moments, mm-hmm. which is interesting because, so, you know, we read the one passage where Neville said that he had spent hours, didn't it say after hours in meditating on this? Oh, yeah. Right. right. And then, you know, the other thing that we talked about once we were talking about affirmations and there's an affirmation that I wrote down years ago. And I thought that I had gotten it out of Napoleon Hill's book. Hmm. Um, is his book Think and Grow Rich? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that I had got it there. It was, I wrote it on an index card and it was in a desk drawer and it's always been my favorite, um, kind of financial Affirmation. It says, mm-hmm. I have a lavish, steady, dependable income consistent with integrity and mutual benefit. I just love that statement mm-hmm. because it kind of says it all. Yeah. And so we had been talking about something on the podcast and I was reminded of that affirmation and I decided to do a search to find out. I wanted to make sure, wait, I know it's from Napoleon Hill's book, but <laughs> who's the one that said it? So I do a search and lo and behold, it wasn't from Napoleon Hill's book. Um, it was, it was a scientist that now I can't remember his name, a famous scientist mm. that said it, and it was recorded in Neville's book. And I was shocked wow. because we were studying Neville and I've read Neville over and over and I thought, oh my goodness, like this was from Neville's book. <laughs> but when I looked it up, it said that the, the story of it was that the man that had this was living in complete lack and poverty and that it's the story said he pretty much holed up in a room for 16 hours and said this affirmation over and over and everything shifted and turned around for him. He ended up being like a millionaire, a multimillionaire many times over. And I thought 16 hours. And here we are sometimes questioning why, why does this, why is it not coming to me? (laughs) I've been, I've been at this for a whole five minutes. Why isn't (laughs) it happening? (laughs) <laughs> I thought, oh my goodness. So 16 when, hours. Whoa. That's mind blowing. It really well, is. I, I think that, I mean, I've heard several stories like that. And you know, what's interesting is that most of those stories are really old. Well, not really old, like 500 years old. <laughs> really old, like, you know, the 1930s or 40s. Right. And I'm like, we, I think we live in this instant society now where we're oh, like, yeah tapping our foot in front of the microwave because it's taking like a full minute, you know, like, come on. And we want things to happen. We want instant gratification. So we come into law of attraction and we, we've spent decades thinking and believing in one direction that's created our present reality. And then we want to change all of that, all of that mental miscreation that we've had. We want to change it in like, you know, five minutes Mm -hmm. and doesn't always change that quickly. I think that we, I think it's worth being devoted (laughs) to putting the time in and the work in. I'm I'm asking myself, is there a spot in my schedule where I can carve out a 16 hour block? I mean, that's that's a big block, you know? Yeah. No, this is why I think people go on like silent retreats. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Yeah, sure. I remember once my rabbi, and his wife went on the silent retreat together. And my rabbi said, oh, so frustrated because she wanted to talk to me so badly that she started spelling words with her carrot shreds on the salad plate. Like she, 
you know, oh, it's not funny. easy. It's not easy for us to be still and be quiet and, you know, tap into that very still place. It's not always <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of a really dumb joke, <laughs> but it's a funny joke. A uh, very old one that my dad used to tell. A uh, story of a monastery where all the monks had taken a vow of silence, and it was an ongoing vow of silence. It wasn't just, you know, for one particular small period of time. It was just like, you know, that was the way they lived. And uh, this journalist goes to visit the asylum and check things out, and, and one of the monks is given permission to speak so that he can be interviewed by the journalist and give him a tour and so forth. And and so he starts showing him around, and... and uh, he brings them to meals. He he brings them to work, you know the work that they're doing. He brings them to all the different activities that they're involved in. And in one of the meals, one of the monks at the end of the meal says, "22." And he's amazed that the monk said anything at all. And all the monks start to laugh. And he says, "What's going on here?" And then another monk says, "12." And it's an even bigger laugh. Well, the, the monk who's, who's given him, who's been given permission to talk to him says, let me explain. We have one little reprieve we're given. We're, we're allowed to, I, to, to tell jokes to each other after our meals. And we, we know all the jokes so well that we've numbered them. So that way, you know, we're, we're allowed to say the number of the joke. That way we're, we're kind of within the limit of not actually talking, right? So, so we, we just tell the, the, the jokes by saying the number. Would you like to try it? And the journalist says, okay, what do I do? He says, well, just, you know, pick a number for the joke. He says, okay, 172. And there's dead silence. And then all the monks just start to laugh and laugh and laugh. They're falling out of their chairs. They're rolling in the aisles. And the journalist says, what did I do? What did I say? And the monk he's talking to is also laughing, gasping for air. Finally, he's able to get his composure long enough to say, they never heard that one before. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so I, I must confess, I had never heard that joke before, but I heard a version of the joke before. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> and the version that I heard, someone calls out a number. Of course, everyone laughs. Um, the next number, everyone laughs. The third number, number seven. And it's just silent. And someone says, oh, some people just can't tell a joke. <laughs> you can't tell a joke. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so we actually have a joke around here that every time it's a holiday and the whole family is together, it's the same jokes. It's the same stories. Remember the time that, well, it's like these stories are told so much that we decided we need to just number them. Just number and we them. Just <laughs> the same one. It's like all someone has to say is remember the, and just like two words and everyone cracks up because they've heard that story so many times. So we were just going to give them all numbers. And <laughs> Where did this come from? <laughs> oh, I don't know, but it's funny. So oh, before goodness. we before we dive in and finish up our uh, our Neville reading, yes, we have some promos to do. We do. So let's do our promos, and it, we we have two standard ones plus a third one. Actually, I'm going to introduce. <laughs> I'm laughing because I thought you were going to say, "Okay, one, two, and three. <laughs> <laughs> so it's promo one, promo two. Okay, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, we do the first promo because we, we do them for people who have 
not perhaps uh, subscribed and not don't really know the podcast, so I guess we should probably tell them because they don't really know the joke yet, right? So, <laughs> so no, it's really very simple. We want more people to be subscribers, and uh, most of our listeners are subscribers. The, the vast majority are, but we know we get new people all the time. In fact, today we're doing, again, the live stream on Facebook to the Law of Attraction Change My Life group. So undoubtedly, we are finding more people there who have not heard the podcast before and uh, perhaps wondering why a podcast is invading their space on the group. But uh, no, we're here by by invitation. It's okay. Um, but we do want you to become subscribers. And uh, it's really simple to do. You just go to your, your device, go to your, uh, if you're on an Apple phone, just go to the uh, iTunes store or to your podcast app that's built in, either one, and do a search on LOA Today. Similarly, on an Android phone, just make sure you have some kind of app involved, installed, rather. If you don't, you need to download one. We recommend the uh, Google Podcast app. It's a really, really ubiquitous one, very easy to uh, install and to use. And we've got uh, links plugged in on, on the Facebook group, so you can just look in the description there. Uh, there are a couple things for you to click on to just do it automatically. Um, we also have links on the homepage of our website at LOAToday.net, so that's another way to find them really easily. Um, but please do take a moment to subscribe and then share the fact that you're listening to LOAToday.net because the listeners are the ones who are helping us reach more and more people and get more and more people that daily dose of happy that we all need in order to you know continue to be more successful and happier and productive deliberate creators so you know please spread the word just keep putting out there that you're listening to LOAToday.net like like you're doing right now and we appreciate that and there is a third message the third message I'm going to do is I'm I'm going to ask if there are any listeners and, and there may not be it's okay but I'm hoping that might be a, a listener or two who might be interested in helping to do some curating, I guess I could call it. Um, I've been wanting to go through uh, our episodes, and I, actually, I don't, I don't think I'll go through the past episodes because there are too many of them, but like going forward, I wanted to go through our episodes and just pick out the, the segments that are the really strong segments and then make that something to put up on, say, YouTube. as like, here, here's a little 10-minute thing or a 15-minute thing that would be really helpful for somebody. So if there's anyone listening who might be interested in helping to uh, do that kind of project, just get in touch with me. Uh, probably the easiest way would be my email address, walt at LOAToday.net. Um, you can also just contact us through, um, through, through the uh, contact page on our website or through our Facebook page or whatever. But uh, you know, if it's something that you think you might be interested in helping us out on, we'd, I'd love the help because we want to, I want to take some of the segments, Cindy, that we do that, you know, we, we have each show, we don't really have defined segments, but they're always like that one 10 or 15 minute segment, segment that's really, really strong. And like, that's the one that everybody needs to hear. And that's why I wanted to be putting out more of But I need some help to do that. So hopefully someone will respond. That's a great idea. Yeah, why not? And if people are already listening and they hear a, a segment that becomes like one of their favorites. You yeah. Know, to, yeah. To let you know about. Exactly. Yay. So there we go. So there we go. Wow. got to finish up Neville's Out of This World book, Chapter 4. We have been working through this Neville book, which is actually... You know, it's a book, but it's very, very small. It's more mm. of an essay, I think. I mean, it's just a few pages. And yet, it's so packed full of thoughts and concepts and ideas and methods that we've been sort of working through it a little bit at a time and tearing it apart. <laughs> That's kind of a theme, <laughs> too, with, with Neville, isn't it? It's kind of a theme that, that his books are pretty short for the most part. They're, they're usually something you can just sit down and do a, a reading. You've done the book. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I have a book that's called uh, The Power of Imagination, The Neville Goddard Treasury. And this book is, let's see, it's 
about 600 pages, but there wow. are there are 11 books in it. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. So you can see that. Yeah. I mean, they're not they're not that long, and some of them are are very short, but they're still dense. Mm. I think that's a good word. Yes. Uh, to describe them. So. So this morning... Well, dense is actually sometimes the word that you describe for yourself. Like, I'm too dense to understand this. But <laughs> that's just because of the way Neville writes. <laughs> right. And his his, wor- his his works are heavy, I guess. They are. Um, they are. I guess weighty. And so sometimes we have to pull them... We have to pull out the uh, Neville decoder ring. Yay! <laughs> so, so we're going to pick up where we left off in the last podcast uh, this morning that we recorded this morning at towards the end of the last chapter of the book. And Neville has been talking about identity. And we had a really good discussion about that this morning, about the way we see ourselves, the story we tell about ourselves, our identity, and how a lot of times we, we, we have this story that we tell and we're very rigid in our story. You know, I am whatever. And recognizing that that story is flexible and we can change it. (laughs) We can step into the identity of that person who has the thing that we want already. That's a really powerful recognition. And so he is talking about that. And of course, we've talked about meditation and lucid dreaming. Um, He often talks about a a waking dream. So we've kind of boiled those all down to say it's, it's mental work. It's mm. focusing work. Right. And he has had in the course of his experiencing those methods and ways of being, he has had many mystical experiences. So he says, my mystical experiences have convinced me that there's no way to bring about the outer perfection we seek other than by the transformation of ourselves. As soon as we succeed in transforming ourselves, the world will melt magically before our eyes and reshape itself in harmony with that which our transformation affirms. In the divine economy, nothing is lost. We cannot lose anything, save by descent from the sphere where the thing has its natural life. Okay, that needs a little translation. Get the ring on. I really like this <laughs> sentence because, in other words, what I find interesting there is that sometimes we're trying to lose something. We're trying to lose the experience of lack or disease or abuse or poverty or whatever. It's like we don't want that experience anymore. And I'm not sure that's exactly what he's saying, but he says we can't lose anything save by descent from the sphere where the thing has its natural life. Well, where, where does something have its natural life? It's within that place of identity. We, we have to step into a different identity. The person that doesn't have that, (laughs) the person that's experiencing abundance instead of lack, the person that's experiencing love instead of abuse, the person that's experiencing vibrant health instead of disease. Once we step into that place, then then we can get rid of those things. 
Okay. Uh, Good explanation. I'll buy that one. So he says, there's no transforming power in death. And whether we are here or there, we fashion the world that surrounds us by the intensity of our imagination and feeling. And we illuminate or darken our lives by the concepts we hold of ourselves. And we had a really great discussion about that this morning. Mm. The idea that regardless of what we have been through, we can, we can tell an illuminating story about it, or we can tell a, a dark story about it, right? We can allow it to continue to darken our lives, or we can allow those experiences, painful as they might be, to bring illumination into our lives. That's true. And, and in fact, in fact, the uh, thing that occurs to me as you describe that is so often we are really good at telling the dark story, but mm-hmm. not necessarily so good at telling the illuminated story because we're just so habitually you know, oriented toward telling the dark stories and then retelling the dark stories. And you know, by the way, have I told you the dark story lately? You know, but we don't actually go out of our way usually to tell the illuminated story. So, yeah. you know, it, it's like a little reminder. Oh, yeah, we can do both of them. But sometimes it's good to exercise the muscle that isn't getting enough exercise. <laughs> well, you know, and in this part of the paragraph where he says we illuminate or darken our lives by the concepts we hold of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we could almost also replace those words and say, you know, we illuminate or darken our lives by the stories we tell about ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nothing is more important to us than our conception of ourselves. And especially is this true of our concept of the dimensionally greater one within us. He is talking there of our imagination. Remember when he was, I think it was in this same book. It could have been the book we did before this one, but he talks about a, what he calls a dimensionally larger space. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he also talks about a dimensionally larger self. And the way I understood that was pretty easy. It's that my, myself in this dimension that I'm living in this three dimensional place that I live in, you know, I'm, I'm a certain size. I'm not very big. I don't take up much space. <laughs> and even the room that I'm in, you know, it, it's a certain space mm-hmm. and that's all the space it takes up. But in my imagination, I can close my eyes and suddenly I'm not bound to this physical body or this little space of this building I'm in. I can imagine that I'm, you know, in San Francisco or in London. I can That's imagine true. things that are so much bigger than where I'm at. And so when he talks about our dimensionally larger self he's talking about our imagination and he says that our imagination when we're tapping into it that it is occupying a dimensionally larger space yeah he talked previously about the uh uh, about there being a fourth dimension i think that's the way he expressed it wasn't it and we decided the fourth dimension was time and and that that was like the essence of that that large dimensional space Right. And that there, that in that larger dimensional space, that there, everything happens at once. Mm -hmm. Time is not linear. Right. And so the thing that he pulled out that seemed very important, the way he phrased it was that when we are tapping into that, when we are in that space and how do we get there? We get there through our imagination that we have to recognize 
it's happening now. Mm-hmm. Not that, not that it's in the future because there is no future there. Everything is now. I think I really had an aha moment about that because at the time I realized that sometimes even when I'm creating something in my imagination, I still have this little perception that it's off in the future. <laughs> what brings me back to knowing, no, it's right now is assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled. I mean, today mm-hmm. in my meditation, oh, I was feeling it now. It That's was true. definitely happening now. Yeah, yeah. It, you really can't feel in the future, can you? Not really. Exactly. Right. And I thought that was really powerful to recognize that when we're tapping into that feeling, we're, we're in the present. That's it's true. In the That's a good point. That's a really good point. And it's also kind of a reassuring point because there are times when I wonder, geez, am I really focused on now? Am I focused on other stuff that I really don't want to be focused on the future or the past? But you're right. If we're feeling it, then we know we're in the now. That's a nice, easy test. I like that one. You know, it's interesting because I'm remembering now that one of, one of our discussions recently has been on lucid dreaming. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we're encouraged to do to make that happen is to, um, in our waking moments, to be aware of the senses mm-hmm. because it's the quickest way to bring us into the present moment is, well, what is the temperature in the room where you're in right now? Mm-hmm. And can you hear anything? You know, I can hear cars going by outside. I can hear you talking. I can hear my voice. <clears throat> can you you know, can you smell anything? Can you taste anything? What do you see? When you start asking yourself those questions, you are definitely bringing yourself into the present moment. Yeah, good. And point. what does that do? It opens our awareness. Because we, we, we have more than just two, two definitions of consciousness. We, we kind of put it in black and white. Well, you're either conscious or you're not. You're either awake or you're asleep. But we have a bunch of different subtleties in our levels of consciousness right we can be kind of in a dreamy state we can be in a hyper focused state we can be in a dream state we can be in a so awareness is bringing ourselves into the just conscious knowledge of what's going on around us when we start to develop that our ability to tap into our feelings gets stronger and it gets sharper and so that helps us here with these methods. That's a good point. That's a really good point. You, you basically very nicely described that it's a lot easier to get into, not just into the now, but f- focused on what we want to truly focus on just by following some really basic steps. And the, the basic steps are pretty much, what are you feeling? What do you, you know, what, are, what senses are you currently receiving data from that you're noticing uh, or, or maybe even creating? It could be either one. And then, once you know that you're receiving the, the data, once you know you're receiving the senses, what's, let's say, what, how, would, how would I phrase it? What, what's it like? No, that's not it. Because um, like, like is definitely the wrong thing. Well, I guess, what would you, what are you aware of? Yeah, okay. Yes, and that's then the way of what, saying it. Yeah, and then how would you describe, you know, your state of consciousness? I mean, that's another great question. It, yes, it there might it is. be a weird yes. question at first, right? But it's like, I know sometimes... I'm definitely, I've definitely experienced, um, a state of feeling very spacey. Um, and I mean, I have migraines, so it's one of the ways I know that a migraine might be coming. And if I take care of it, then it never happens. 
it's if I recognize it. So see, and once again, if my awareness is open to what's yeah. going on, um, also times when I'm working on a project, especially an art project, I might be just very hyper-focused on detail. So that's a different level of consciousness. Yeah, that's true. That's pretty cool, though, that you're able to, you, you've identified for yourself something that's a, a signal. You, you, you know, if you, if you follow this particular path, the migraine's coming. So, okay, I recognize the signal. I can shift gears. I don't have to go down, down that way. You found a way to basically, uh, proactively heal yourself. Yeah. So it's just, it's just being aware. Yeah. And that takes some practice. Mm. So conventionally greater one within us that he's talking about, it's, you know, it has to do with awareness. It taps into that. Our imagination is going to use that tool. Now, I also thought of something when you read that phrase, and, you, and I remember this from when you read it before, when you read the phrase dimensionally greater one within us, you, you identify that as imagination, and that certainly is consistent with what he says. Do you think that's also the same thing as the inner being? I do. Okay. What? How does that strike you? Do you feel that I, I think it probably does. I never really thought of imagination and inner being being equivalent, but there's certainly a parallel there. Yeah. Well, I think, I think so. But there's a lot of different words that we use to describe different things, right? Like we use the word, uh, soul sometimes body, soul, mind, body, soul, or spirit, right? There's all these different words that we use to describe different concepts. So I think that sometimes it gets a little personal as how somebody describes a certain thing. But I know that Neville is speaking of imagination. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, that's very also, consistent. Yeah. That that's right. clear. Just from, just from reading the, the the rest of the book, imagination is is his way of it, it, it's his way of explaining that that present that being in the present thing and and while you're in the present, consciously engaging in the greater source energy, the greater power that is, whatever you want to call it. That that's imagination is is his work for that. Right. So he's also going to quote some, you know, New Testament Bible verses yeah. and say that God is our imagination. Mm. Like in this paragraph where he says, you know, it's especially true of our concept of the dimensionally greater one within us. One is capitalized. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, that may or may not jive with any given person's personal belief system uh, but it is neville's so mm -hmm. that's why the, the decoder ring is so helpful so that you know it, it, <laughs> sometimes you just need to have a program to know one word from the other that's all there is to it <laughs> so he goes on to say those who help and i really like this paragraph those who help or hinder us whether they know it or not are the servants of that law which shapes outward circumstances in harmony with our inner nature and I think about how many times when we are at the bottom of the emotional scale, the bottom of the energy scale, feeling victimized um, and feeling like this person hindered us <laughs> or maybe like this person helped us. Um, Neville sounds like Abraham here to me because he's saying, well, there is a law and the law is that your vibration is going to attract like vibration. Mm. So 
when people are helping you or when you perceive that people are hindering you, either way, um, they are just in alignment with your vibration. He says they are the servants of that law, which shapes outward circumstances in harmony with our inner nature. Well, that actually sounds a little bit strange, doesn't it? Because included in that was people who hinder us. So how could people who are hindering us be in alignment with our vibration? And yet there is some truth to that. Because they wouldn't be there hindering us in the first place if they weren't. Yeah. We're creating everything. Yeah. So it's he one says, of those uh, paradoxes. <laughs> it is our conception of ourselves which frees or constrains us though it may use material agencies to achieve its purpose. So, of course, I mean, that's how, that's how life on earth works, mm. right? People and circumstances and opportunities, um, they all, they all either free or constrain us. It's really us. It's our story that we're telling. It's our conception of ourselves that really bring freedom or bring bondage. Okay, so he goes on to say... By the way, I want to uh, mention there was a a comment we got from the Facebook group that I wanted to share. Um, John John says, (laughs) I'm not sure exactly what he was responding to, but he says, yes, also Neville asks us to use our imagination. Today, the imagination has been taken over by video games and television. People don't know how to even use imagining to work from the end. Interesting comment. Good comment. Good point. And it's also what I was talking about when I said, you know, a lot of these stories that you hear where someone says, I remember Florence Scovelshen telling a very similar story about someone who basically was really dealing with a situation. They wanted to remedy it now. And so they just locked themselves up in a room, you know, for the entire day and meditated on one thing. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, this scientist who I can't remember his name, I'll have to find that out. Um, you know, 16 hours of meditating upon this mantra. And we hear Neville talk about after hours of meditating. And we are, we are so much not used to spending that much time being quiet. I mean, I've never been this person, but I know a lot of people who turn the TV on so they have background noise. (laughs) Okay. Like they'll say, well, I'm just going to, I'm not watching this. I'm just going to turn it on. So, and I'm like, I, I really, really love and appreciate peace and quiet and Mm -hmm. I have a lot of it and I'm thankful for it, but I I don't need background noise. But even so. What what you're saying actually describes my wife pretty well. Louise doesn't like having silence. She wants to have a television or music or something going in the background. So more people that more people than not. I mean, that's, that's a lot of people that that feel Mm. that way. I think you're right. And I, and, and then a constant stream of media or data coming in with mm-hmm. all of our social media and with, it's like, so that was a great comment. It's very, very true. Mm-hmm. It's like, we have to be willing to go to the place where we can get still and quiet to actually give our imagination space to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Everyone runs off and starts Googling for us. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's see. Because life molds the outer world to reflect the inner arrangement of our minds, there's no way of bringing about the outer perfection we seek other than by the transformation of ourselves. No help cometh from without. The hills to which we lift our eyes are those of an inner range. 
Um, let's see. It's thus to our own consciousness that we must turn as to the only reality, the only foundation on which all phenomena can be explained. We can rely absolutely on the justice of this law to give us only that which is the nature of ourselves. To attempt to change the world before we change our concept of ourselves is to struggle against the nature of things. There can be no outer change until there's first an inner change. As within, so without. I'm not advocating philosophical indifference when I suggest that we should imagine ourselves as already that which we want to be, living in a mental atmosphere of greatness rather than using physical means and arguments to bring about the desired change. Everything we do, unaccompanied by a change of consciousness, is but futile readjustment of surfaces. However we toil or struggle, we can receive no more than our assumptions affirm. To protest against anything which happens to us is to protest against the law of our being and our rulership over our own destiny. See, I wish I had read that about, oh, 40 years ago. Oh, right? <laughs> Me I too. Could, I could have saved myself a <laughs> lot of grief if I had read that. <laughs> the circumstances of my life are too closely related to my conception of myself not to have been formed by my own spirit from some dimensionally larger storehouse of my being. If there's pain to me in these happenings, I should look within myself for the cause, for I am moved here and there and made to live in a world in harmony with my concept of myself. Intense meditation brings about a union with the state contemplated, and during this union we see visions, have experiences, and behave in keeping with our change of consciousness. This shows us that a transformation of consciousness will result in a change of environment and behavior. Now, I think this is really interesting where he goes next with this. He says, all wars prove that violent emotions are extremely potent in precipitating mental rearrangements. Every great conflict has been followed by an era of materialism and greed in which the ideals for which the conflict ostensibly was waged are submerged. This is inevitable because war evokes hate, which impels a descent in consciousness from the plane of the ideal to the level where the conflict is waged. If we would become as emotionally aroused over our ideals as we become over our dislikes, we would ascend to the plane of our ideal as easily as we now descend to the level of our hates. I think it's really interesting to hear this idea that if we would just become as emotionally aroused, if we would be as passionate about our goals as we can become over things we don't like and don't want, <laughs> mm -hmm. we can get to that place just as easy as we can get to the other place. It is an interesting paragraph. Um, I, I, I was focusing on the early parts of the paragraph. Um, where it says every great conflict has been followed by an era of materialism and greed in which the ideals for which the conflict ostensibly was waged are submerged. And it actually makes sense. I mean, just from a pure material point of view, it makes sense. You, you've had this big war and so much has been destroyed. you got to rebuild it. That requires a material orientation to do that. I mean, that's just going to be part of it. But his next point 
is where it really becomes a different way of looking at the same thing. Um, where he says, uh, if we would become as emotionally aroused over our ideals as we become over our dislikes, we would ascend to the plane of our ideal as easily as we now descend to the level of our hates. And, and that is, it, it seems like it's, it's an independent statement in a sense, but I see that as being directly tied to the rebuilding. Because when you rebuild after some sort of massive destructive situation, you can do it one of two ways. You can do it just by, okay, let's plow right up forward, like usually happens, and just we're going to build, 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 and it's going to be all material and so forth. Or you can build in your mind first. And I, I don't know. Maybe this is just me reading into it. I think he's basically saying in those eras, in those situations where we're recovering from a war or from a really bad catastrophe of some kind, if we take the time to envision and think and and basically manifested by by creating in the mind, we're going to actually do a better job of rebuilding. We're going to build it into something that's actually better rather than something that's just kind of a something that, that doesn't really match up with what the ideals were in the first place. Right. If we'll stick with our ideals. Mm-hmm. I hear that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And he goes on. Well, although th- I... th- well there's also another piece of this, too, because he he. He basically infers that many wars get fought because of ideals. And that one, I, I kind of stumble over that one a little bit. Because the ideals that I've seen in terms of when I've studied what led to wars, I did quite a bit of extensive studying of that, particularly as a political science major. I, I, I have trouble even calling them ideals a lot of the time. A lot of the time, the ideals are pretty non-ideal. I mean, maybe the the opponents have have an idea of like, well, let's let's not go down that road. I'm 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 fighting for our freedoms or something like that. And I can I can see that, but a lot of the the stuff that leads people into war is not terribly ideal. So I'm wondering, what, what do you think he had in mind when he said that we that we originally were fighting these wars for certain ideals? Well, I think it's I think it's I agree with you because what I see is that. The conflict might not have been waged for ideals. It might have been reacted to. It might have been engaged for ideals. Yeah, that would make more sense. Yeah. Right? I mean, I see that too. Um, yeah, no, I think that the war gets waged for less than perfect ideals yeah. and often gets engaged for those ideals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, he says, Love and hate have a magical transforming power. And we grow through their exercise into the likeness of what we contemplate. By intensity of hatred, we create ourselves the character we imagine in our enemies. Qualities die for want of attention. So the unlovely states might best be rubbed out by imagining beauty for ashes and joy for mourning rather than by direct attacks on the state from which we would be free. Whatsoever things are lovely and of a good report, think on those things for we become that with which we are on rapport. So why There's, do you think he's, he's including this particular paragraph? Cause he's making a very specific point here, but why, why, what, what, what do you think is, is what do you think the point is? Let's put it that way. What, what, well, why, can, why say I, it this way? I can tell you that, and and there's one more sentence in the book or two Go more ahead. sentences. Yeah. So and and they tie in. So there's nothing to change but our concept of self. 
As soon as we succeed in transforming self, our world will dissolve and reshape itself in harmony with that which our change affirms. And what I think he's talking about in the in the paragraphs before, um, I do think he's talking about actual war that happens. Mm-hmm. But he's so esoteric. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> right? And he often speaks in such, in so many metaphors yeah. that when I see this, Second paragraph where he says, by intensity of hatred, we create in ourselves the character we imagine in our enemies. Qualities die for want of attention. I think of um, the concept of self and the idea of self-love or self-loathing. Mm-hmm. I think of inner conflict. I think of those wars that we're fighting that are really within our own self. I mean, that's what comes up for me is that when we will focus on whatever things are lovely and of a good report about ourselves, that's when we start to change our concept of ourself. And he's been saying over and over and over, there's nothing to change but our concept of self. That's true. There's nothing to change but our concept of self. So I don't have to change my concept of you. I don't have to change my concept of anyone. You know, he talks about enemies, right? I don't have to change anyone that I see as an enemy. I don't have to change. Hopefully I'm not creating enemies. I hope not. (laughs) Right? But it's all connected to my concept of self. Mm, True. It's interesting that I mean I like the way you're you're explaining that paragraph. I, I think the explanation makes sense. But it also occurred to me that paragraph could be uh, understood and interpreted in terms of what actually goes on in the real world, not just metaphorically. I mean, uh, by intensity of hatred, we create in ourselves the character we imagine in our enemies. How much of that is happening right now in the political world? It's happening all the right. time. That's like constant. I mean, it's not, even, it's not actually a war. It's not like, you know, a, a firing war. But in some ways, it's almost warlike in terms of what's happening, not just here in the U.S., but in many countries. There are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of turmoil going on politically in a lot of countries. Well, the, the paragraph before, the third paragraph before the end, he's, he's using wars, actual wars, as the proof, right? Mm-hmm. All wars prove mm-hmm. what? That violent emotions are extremely potent in precipitating mental rearrangements. Mm-hmm. Now, the entire book we've been reading <laughs> has to do with that we want to precipitate a mental rearrangement. True. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But we want to do it in a way that we reshape ourself to the, to the experience we want. Mm-hmm. That we reshape, that our world will reshape itself in alignment with the story we're telling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that's interesting that, you know, to me, the whole thing is pointing to where our focus is. Oh yeah. And where are we putting the focus on? But it always comes back to ourself. That's right. Are we a victim? Is someone our enemy? You know, those are all stories we tell about ourselves. And so what is the concept it's the concept of self. And how do we change it? We change it by making the space and time to to attempt to enter into that larger dimension where our imagination has power. Which is quite different from the understanding of most people who don't 
follow law of attraction teaching or certainly don't follow Neville Goddard teaching, um, but who are involved in the political struggles of the day because you, you don't you don't ever see anybody. I don't think I, I can remember the last time I saw somebody in the political arena saying, you know what, I'm going to change my own thought process here. It's just not part of the way the debate works, right? The debate's always about what they're doing, what this, this, these terrible things that they're doing over there. It's never about me. It's never about making any changes in myself, which which I find to be fascinating. But I also That's find why. it to be illuminating because it really shows if you aren't taking the time to work on yourself, then, then really the whole analogy about the, the pointed finger, when you point your finger, there's one finger pointing at the person that you're pointing at, and there's three more fingers pointing back at yourself. <laughs> you know? Well, that's why I love where he says, you know, everything we do unaccompanied by a change of consciousness is just futile readjustment of surfaces. <laughs> yes, right. That's pretty much what that says. Yeah, exactly. Right? And it reminds yeah. me of, you know, someone that says I they, they leave one situation, but they haven't done any kind of work on themselves. And they end up in a situation just like the one they left. Just like, they've can you imagine? Stuff. How does it happen over and over again? <laughs> they've just readjusted surfaces. That's it, yeah. That's pretty much it. <laughs> like right one there. of those little square puzzles where you slide the little squares yes. around. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it reminds uh, me of. Yep, so, just keep sliding it around, sliding it around. <laughs> all the same. It's just in a different, coming from a different place. You know, like I got rid of, you know, it's like meat that wasn't the, I'm trying to think of the the song lyrics. Um, is meet the the new boss, same as the old boss? Oh, the who? Yes, yes. Right? It's like everything just keeps coming around because it's all connected to our concept of ourself. That's and, the thing that we need to change. And of course, so. the title of the song is "We Won't Get Fooled Again." <laughs> <laughs> Good catch. And yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> it is amazing. There's no doubt Good about stuff. that. <laughs> well, we got just a couple minutes left. So a uh, quick reminder, if you have not yet subscribed, please do become subscribers to the podcast because it's a little bit different every day. Every team that I work with, we're, we're all doing different stuff. Yesterday afternoon, it was just fun comedy talking about, well, not just comedy, but talking about dating apps and really addressing something that's important to a younger generation. And here we are today. We're talking about Neville Goddard. And tomorrow with Joel, I can't even predict what it's going to be with tomorrow. I mean, Joel and I, the only thing I can tell you is that Joel is going to inspire you with everything that can happen when you're at your worst place in life, because that's what Joel is really good at. Uh, but it's a different thing every day. So make sure you become a subscriber and then share the fact that you're a subscriber. And again, we talked about that earlier how to do that, but do it. Become a subscriber. Get all the episodes coming to your show, to your uh, smartphone with and uh, for those who have have already figured out that uh, Cindy does have the Neville Goddard decoder ring and they want to figure out how <laughs> to get a little decoding going on, how do they reach out to you, Cindy? Uh, you can find me online at my website, cindychavez.com, C-I-N-D-I-E-C-H-A-V-E-Z.com. I would love to hear from you. Come give me a holler. It's well worth the effort, too, because, I mean, I, I work with a lot of really good coaches. I do not hesitate to say Cindy is at the top of her field. She is terrific. So. Please do give her a call. Cindy, it's been great. I can't wait to do next week. We're going to have to figure out which Neville book to do next, but we'll figure out something, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, we will, and I will be back next week, Tuesday morning. So Absolutely. All right. I look forward to it, too. We hope that you'll join us as well next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone.